0: Hello. 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 Okay. Ready? I don't get it. hello everyone hello welcome to I don't get it um, a a <laughs> podcast about Edmonton uh, Performances in Edmonton um, I'm Paul
1: And I'm Fonda And we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network Powered by
0: ATB That was my uh, Pinter pause A.K.A. I drank my coffee at the wrong time
1: <laughs> And we couldn't do that Powered <laughs> by ATB together Good God I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Speaking of Pinter yes. uh, Yeah, so we're back after a little bit of a hiatus Thanks for your patience, everyone yes. um, But yeah and we saw. Um, well, I took a guest, our mm-hmm. classical correspondent Colleen Fien. Um, now to uh, the Broken Toys production of Betrayal right,
0: by Harold Pinter. Yes. Have you ever seen a Pinter show, Paul? Um, you know, I've read some Pinter scripts, um, but I I don't think I've ever seen one. I've never had the opportunity to see the the Pinter pause in action, as it were.
1: Yeah. I, I mean. A lot a number of his plays have been um, made into well-known movies and things like that. But also um, often you really only get to see something like studio theater, like one of the repertory sort of education theater programs doing, you know, the classic pinter pieces.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that um, they occupy this strange little curious space in like theater history where it's like, ooh, a pinter. That means this. People talk about things when they really talk about other things. Yeah, yeah.
1: Or when they're not talking at all. Mm-hmm. Um or you know, about things like squash. So <laughs> right. So yeah, um well and because betrayal is still running until June second, we're just gonna throw to that uh discussion that Colleen and I had first. Mm-hmm. Hello, hello, hello! All right. Um, well, I'm here with our, you know, special guest of all things classical. Um, <laughs> not, not the opera this time. We saw a Harold Pinter play. Hello, Colleen.
2: Hello. Nice to be here.
1: Thanks. Well, thank you for
2: joining us um, for this show. So, so, well, what did we see this evening? We saw uh, Harold Pinter- Pinter's show, Betrayal, at, um, at well, at the Arts Barns. It was by Broken Toys Theater. Yes, Mm -hmm. Uh, starring Elena Porter as Emma, Chris Cook as Jerry and Robert Porter. Sorry, excuse me, Cody Porter as Robert. Yes, there was also Jake Takachuk
1: as the waiter who was sort of like in and out. (laughs) So much flair. Yes, so much flair. Um, Yeah. in any case, give us a little bit of a rundown
2: of what happens in Betrayal. So, uh, spoiler alert. Well, actually, no. The first scene sort of spoils it. But the the two characters, Emma and Jerry, have been uh, meet to discuss the fact that they they have ended an affair that lasted for seven years, um, and whether and and that Emma has revealed to Jerry that her husband Robert now knows about the affair. Um, and you and you move backwards in time from there. As um, so, they start off at the as sort of the end of the story, and then they move backwards as you see uh, the characters finding out about the affair and carrying on the affair, and then you move to the very beginning where um, the affair begins and sort of the characters' progression through all of those feelings and but backwards. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, the, so the meat of the play is um, Emma and her husband and uh, Jerry, who is right. the the. The, the the lover. Jerry is also married to someone else and he has children at in his other marriage, in his marriage. Um, and yeah, moving back through those, it's, it, I think the play takes place over like, I don't know, seven to nine years, like almost yeah. a decade, sort yeah. of. And it's supposed to be kind of in the 70s. What, what isn't what wasn't super clear and i only knew that be- i only knew that it moved backwards in time because i read the press release before the show um but you you went in a little bit cold and so how how did you feel about the reveals sort of because they really happened in sort of kind of sparse areas of the mm-hmm. script i found
2: yeah there were some sort of there were some uh in particular there were some plot lines that would sort of reveal what, where they were in the story there was the the age of a child and some vacations that they'd taken and, and it it took me a while to clue in that we were going backwards, and because there there's, there was a particular scene where they sort of start off, and the husband has sort of resigned himself to the fact that the, the the wife had an affair, and he seems to sort of be over it. And but then in the second scene, he seems angry and upset because he's just. I, I then I figure out he's just learned about the affair, he just found out about it. Yeah. So then, like, so then, and then more things start to happen. So. So I eventually figured out that we're going back in time, and so you're sort of seeing his his reactions to that. But the rea- reactions are jarring because you're not watching him discover it in a linear way like you normally would. You're seeing how he, where he ended up, and then so then the next scene he's really upset, and you're like, "Well, why is he upset? He just told me he's totally over it." So <laughs> so it was it was interesting from my own reaction to sort of understand that you know these these and it and it made the these reactions really stand out, I guess, because you're sort of jarred and wondering why it's happening and so yeah mm-hmm. it kind of it 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 sort of gave the characters a little bit of a
1: different sort of motivational drive because mm-hmm. you didn't you weren't watching things that happen in a linear way mm-hmm. you were you were kind of like as soon as you started getting it trying to anticipate what their what their motivations would have been in the scene before or the year before, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah,
2: and so something probably so. I, and my other the, the other play that I'm familiar with with Pinter is the birthday party, which I actually read as a script when I was back in, in back in the day. <laughs> and, um, uh, and and so I remember like starting to watch this play, and, and I could sort of see it on the page because Pinter's obviously just so well known for his his dialogue, and you can sort of see it sort of going back and forth a little bit, and and um, so just watching it that way and, and picking up on this dialogue, uh, it was neat. And then you see some of the characters. So I thought Elena actually did a great job of um, de-aging. Is that the right way to say it? Like, so like she starts off quite stern and tight and somewhat jaded at the beginning. And then she, you see her sort of loosen up as she's a younger woman and she's being charmed by her this lover mm-hmm. and things like that, and things haven't gone wrong yet. So I thought she did a really nice job of being tight and upset by the end or sort of, not even upset, but just like tight
1: mm-hmm. at the
2: end and then, but sort of softer and gentler at the beginning.
1: Yeah, and but not at the beginning of the show, right? Like <laughs> Sorry, as she <laughs> as she ages, yeah, as she like de-ages through time. Yeah. It was interesting because her character um, I felt that she got a little bit short-changed by the the dialogue and the lines that she was given but her character did seem to go to actually progress through
2: time more than the other two did yeah i would Mm -hmm. agree with that yeah and i think i mean maybe it's as a female she can let her hair down and wear flowier outfits and so maybe there's just some some symbols that we address to, to females that it's easier to do that i don't know but um i mean i guess the guys can't grow and shave beards <laughs> like the throughout the show but but chris cook did grow some nice uh sort of what is chops. it chops for the, the chops. chops for the role <laughs> oh and i really liked um robert the husband's outfits like of course the uh, the the wonderful leona bronson who never leaves us wanting um he had some great like smoking jackets and three-piece suits and you know that the English fun stuff yeah leona's costumes were
1: fantastic as as, as, always. Uh, as always um well so what did you think about um sort of i guess i mean we've talked a little bit about um emma's character uh, uh so what about the the male characters how did you feel about how they were
2: portrayed um so i thought they they both did an excellent job at at, at at handling this dialogue Like it's not It's not super easy dialogue Like there's pauses And you gotta know when to You gotta know when to uh, Do things But I Um Although I, I, I guess I wanted to know more about... Because the play actually goes into their relationship maybe even more so than the than the one with the wife or the lover. And the, the last line is like, you know, you're my best friend. And then it's... And he says, yes, you are. And it's supposed to be this really big heartfelt moment. So I guess... And they have a bunch of scenes together. But I guess I wanted more... I guess I, I would have loved to feel more between the two of them. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to be heartbroken that this friendship was ruined over this this affair and and this whole squash thing they kept like they're and I mean, obviously, the squash is a is a is a metaphor for like a real back and forth, or uh, you know, okay, you're real... talking you're talking about squash, the game, not squash of vegetables. Excuse me, I'm <laughs> talking about squash the game. Okay, so but what? did Just give us a little bit about what the squash game was sort of about. So s- squash is only to be played when your friendship is good and solid, and and it was about manly things, man, men manly things, and women are not to be involved. And uh, you know, you you go for a squash game, and then you and you really rev each other up and then you go have a shower and then you go for a a beer at a pub so it's manliness and it's only about men and you don't want women around so I guess if we're digging into it it's about an intimate friendship where you actually have a real genuine back and forth I guess is the metaphor for squash yeah and I just so they, they they talk all the time about how they're best friends and I I would have loved a bit more to feel that connection a bit more
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it got, it felt a little empty when they by the end, and I mean I don't know, I mean because you already know about the affair, you know about what's happened uh, and all that stuff by the end when you say when they say you know like you are my best friend and they sort of look at each other for a quick minute yeah. and you're and there's that one of those like pregnant pinter pauses, of course, right? Um, it just didn't it it didn't quite hit me like i wanted it to yeah. land as emotionally, right? Um also the other thing that i wanted to ask a little bit um was well what did you think about the staging in the space that it was in?
2: Yeah, so it was very minimal staging which i think in a piece that's very dialogue rich like this you can certainly get away with. Um unfortunately i think we were we we got there late cuz we were having too much fun doing something else. And then we got there and we were sort of left we got the seats that were left mm-hmm. and they were right on the floor and we were behind some other people and I'm really short so as as am I <laughs> two short girls so unfortunately some of the sight lines didn't totally work out for us um and that's just a, a you know the virtue of a small space but um but you know and as and they did this interesting progression where as the play went on they sort of started at the very back of the stage and then they moved forward as the play got, this the time went backwards by the end the, the the actors were standing sort of towards the front of the stage and I was able to see more so that was better but I so unfortunately I lost some of it because of the sight lines
1: yeah and I th- there were parts that I didn't really get to see at all because I was right on an end to like behind a wing a little mm-hmm. bit and so even even some of like almost for the almost entire show i didn't get actually get to see emma's face at all (laughs) um but the the cool thing the great thing was is that i was sort of just able to to kind of sit and listen almost like a radio show um and the the great part about pinter dialogue is that it's just like the dialogue and the pauses are
2: enough yes you know and you're pulled into that story and you're interested right from the get-go like just the hook of Mm -hmm. well you know i haven't seen you not yeah i haven't seen you in two years well not that way and you're like well what does that mean so like it's yeah you're you're right in right from the beginning so that's good about that dialogue and the other thing I would say is that they had they paid a lot of attention to to setting these scenes where it's like tables or beds or whatever it is and it it was good when we're in the scene but there was there was a lot of busyness around getting into these scenes which which didn't really fit with the feeling of these these heavy emotional scenes. And then it was like, so we'd have a big scene and you're thinking about what just happened in the scene because they're, you know, they're having all this dialogue. And then it's like, okay, now we got to shuffle tables and chairs around. And I, so I didn't, it wasn't, it didn't add it for me. Like I, I could have, I could have used just a simple table and a bed and then them just have their great story.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, the light, the lighting design was actually quite effective in that way, yeah. and like, I really loved how they blinked on and off with everything. Yeah. That was very cool. Um, but at the same time, I just kind of also thought, you know, like, you could have dropped me into this just, like, straight-up dialogue scene. I could have yeah. just, like, listened to actors read this play, and it would have been brilliant. Um, th- what, I, what I kind of appreciated a little bit about the um ab- about the set changes and things is that they did try to kind of like ham it up a little bit, like <laughs> there they, was some flair. Yeah, yeah, they did try to make those like a little bit of comedic relief because I do think that there is comedy in this play, and a lot of it didn't quite land yeah um like or you you were just so kind of like steeped in the in the seriousness of this affair and about what it means for the friendship and for and for all the characters that it just the the funny parts were just sort of like kind of a little bit glossed over almost
2: am am I allowed to laugh at that yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) so the waiter so the waiter like he he does get those like funny moments and he does get to kind of like kind of transition in and out a little bit um but yeah, like I also kind of like questioned I was just kind of like, well, if it was like even um, you know, I mean, like it was it was kind of a low-fi production. It wasn't yeah. like super super um heavy production value or anything like that. But if it was even lower, like say they didn't have the money to have another actor in there, they could have easily done it with mm-hmm. three actors. Yeah. Um and and just uh you know, so yeah, I don't I don't know where I was really going with that <laughs> that comment but
2: <laughs> You're right, it's nice to have some comedic relief and I and I I think there were funny moments that maybe they could have uh, that maybe there more could have been juiced out of them, but I because you because it is so serious and you sort of need a moment of yeah you need that comedic relief so mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah like it's it's a heavy play it's about an affair it's about betrayal so <laughs> you're 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 kind of um you know you you're in it for some heartbreak and 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 that but also you're in it for you know what do you what do people know about each other mm-hmm. what do relationships
2: mean and and and, <laughs> and so many levels of betrayal like you know i i i almost could feel myself counting them cuz it's like there's the affair but then there's also like what the lovers tell each other and don't tell each other like when he lies to her about taking when she lies to him about taking the speedboat and then you know like there's just all these and when she
1: and when she gets pregnant with her own husband and yeah. he's and he's just kind of like oh
2: i guess i'm happy for you but oh (laughs) yeah like there's just like every there's so many little betrayals between everybody so it's just Mm -hmm. so that's just that's so rich and it yeah it doesn't feel sad it feels rich it's like whoa so Mm -hmm. many layers yeah
1: yeah i I mean it it is very layered so you do i mean i think that we'll probably be thinking about it for a little while now we've just we've just come out of this show we're just talking about it right after we saw it so like I, i do think that the layers and the things that were said will probably sort of like permeate And sink in for Mm, a little while still. Yeah,
2: yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, it's fun to watch movies, excuse me. It's it's fun to watch plays that are set sort of in that 60s, 70s time period where, you know, people are kind of drinking and they're kind of philosophizing and, you know, people could still have jobs like poetry publisher.
1: Yeah, so. like they were the yeah, the, the jobs that the guys have in this play are they're 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 time. publishers. They're yeah. in the publishing industry. Yeah. Um and this I guess the play is based on Pinter's own affair with a broadcaster at the BBC. Mm-hmm. Um so in some way this um Emma's character is
2: inspired by um a real true affair that Pinter did have. And you could see it being a bit of a like an not an apology but like a, a sort of a coming to not not a mea culpa but like you you can see that there's regret for what he did and and maybe not even about the woman but certainly regret for the the damage to that friendship so mm. it, like it's a it's a it's a sort of a love letter to what he's done, if, if, if it is really biographical. But I think it was interesting to look at an affair, a, a story about an affair, as between the two friends, as opposed to it being about the lovers. Whether you know, maybe if you switched up all the genders, whatever. But I but I liked it. I liked that it was about their friendship, as opposed to just it being about the husband and the wife being betrayed. And, and it's neat, because it sort of starts off right at the beginning, where the husband and the wife. And so you know you're not about to start watching a play that's all about a husband and wife Mm-hmm. fighting each other over an affair you're like okay well that's its own story so this is a different story and and that was neat and intriguing for me because if you think of affairs and all these things you think of fantastic husband-wife battles blah, blah, blah. like massive the war of the, the roses kind and, of thing yeah, right yeah. <laughs> so i was relieved that that wasn't what we were about to see i was relieved that we were going into um the relationship between the friends and and you know and these contrite little English um, boxes that they put themselves in right like oh we must sit in the living room and have a drinky and the children are upstairs in bed so no one should really get out of sorts here <laughs> We must talk about squash and poetry yeah. <laughs> and in, in our in our proper British
1: accents which I felt were kind of a little bit unnecessary but <laughs> yeah yeah although how
2: does one say pip pip with a North American Dialect. True. True. <laughs> Touche. That's very true. So so yeah. So at first I was like, I don't know why we're doing sort of lofty, you know, British accents kind of. But they they weren't bad. They did they, the actors oh, no, did the a good ax- job. The accents were just yeah. they were done very well. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, but you don't know. Do we have to. But then but then the the Englishisms came out, and you sort of have to go along with it. So that was fine. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, well, in in any case, that was um, Broken Toys Theater production of Betrayal. Um, that was it is running, I believe, until June second, uh, and and that's at the uh, uh, ATB Arts Barns. Thanks for joining us, Colleen,
2: for that that romp. Thanks for having me. It is always good to curl up with Harold Pinter.
1: <laughs> Don't we love it? Those pregnant. Horses. <laughs> Bye.
0: Bye. Remember the fun of signing up for the library's Summer Reading Club when you were a kid? Yeah, you do. Um, Well, now there's a Summer Reading Club for adults. Stop by any Edmonton public library between uh, June 22nd and August 24th to get your activity sheet to track your reading. You can even win some amazing prizes. Visit epl.ca slash summerreads for all the information. Why should kids get to have all the fun?
1: Why indeed? Why indeed? I love I love a good summer reading club. All right, so
0: um, well, we also saw uh, something together uh, last week. Yeah, we went to a uh, Zero Gravity Performance Art Festival, uh, which was put on by uh by Mile Zero Dance and was an international performance art festival. So performance artists from all over the world, uh, including right here, uh, came uh, came to to do their work. Uh, as well as um, the first week of this festival was uh, was a series of workshops uh, for for locals. and what we saw was um, the opening night uh, which was sort of the showcase of of a lot of those uh, the culmination of of those workshops.
1: Yeah, it was kind of neat. They had this uh, this this summit to start of all of these performing artists coming together working on stuff and then we saw if it was on Thursday of last week. Um, and so well, do we want to start by talking a little bit about performance art in general, or, or, what, or what we saw that night? Let's,
0: let's start there, Fonda. What is performance art? How is that different than uh, different than you know, theater or visual art that happens to be um, uh, presented in a live way?
1: You know, I think that for a general audience, performance art sort of lies on one of the far ends of the the I don't get it spectrum.
0: yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, It is uh, very often durational. So something happening over a sort of a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, Not always a single performer. I think that some of the stuff that often we see Zero dance doing lends itself a little bit more to the performance art side of things than, say, the straight up contemporary dance side. Um, but often I feel what performance art, uh, you'll see an artist um, you know, kind of just like taking an idea, visually creating it as a performance. Mm-hmm. So it's not a painting per se. It is right. them doing something. Right. Um, and that action, that act is is the art, yeah, um, and so you know it does. You do see some weird things sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, depends on what you, anybody calls weird, I guess. But right. but yeah, what are your feelings on like performance art as the as a form?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's trying to like make you think about. Um, some action in a different way, some action or some um, something someone could do. My favorite example of performance art um, is, uh, and I forget their name, but there was a, a Chinese artist um, and they did a show called 100 Versus One, where they trained for months and then they wrestled 100 people in a row. <laughs> and it was, like, first to a pinfall. Like, it wasn't, like, uh, drawn out. Uh, but it was, like, how many can you win? Uh, and I think they ended up winning, like, 34. Which, when you really think about it, is quite a few, considering that, <clears throat> especially after the first few, uh, I mean, the whole time, all of your opponents are coming in fresh, and you have just wrestled one to 99 people, depending on where they're coming in at. Um, and so, And so to think about that is, like, cool really you're watching wrestling um but it's this idea of like oh but we're seeing something go over and over what is it when we push this person sort of or this idea sort of past what we normally would it's not one match it's a hundred matches
2: yeah Um, yeah
0: so let's what is the durational power of that to see someone who's getting so tired um try and maintain something that they um that was very easy early on, presumably, but is much harder as it ramps up.
1: Yeah, we were kind of while we were watching some of the pieces last week, kind of uh, you know thinking about how long do we stay? Because mm-hmm. you're always a little bit worried that you know in the progression of things, for how long they're going on, that of course you're going to miss something. Right. You can't you can't always often watch something for hours or or however long it goes. Mm-hmm. I do recall another piece that I saw um, when Latitude 53 was uh, doing Visualize. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, And there was it was a performer in um, sort of like a beige leotard with long sleeves and long pants. And she was um, she was putting bananas into underneath the leotard Um, and then and then had audience members also adding bananas underneath the leotard. So a lot of the times I feel that the performance is meant to make you a little bit like uncomfortable in thinking about especially about how the body is being used mm-hmm. um you know there seems like a little bit of often sacrifice or right. some some kind of um danger or discomfort or oddness about what's happening with mm-hmm. the body um so maybe now let's uh, talk a little bit about the actual show the performances that we did see sure
0: um we came in uh and i think the first thing uh we saw was um bubble wrap was um a person in a two people in sort of full bubble wrap suits sort of um roiling on the floor and and um sort of in an intimate pile with each other um and you know uh, a lot of tactile sounds came out of that, given they're they're wearing suits of bubbles. So, as one might expect, some of those bubbles pop. Um,
1: yeah, as they would go through different sorts of embraces and things mm-hmm. like that, and holding on to each other, you'd hear these like crackling, you know, bubble wrap mm-hmm. things too. And of course, the suits by the end of their um, performance got pretty pretty ripped up and destroyed. It's something that you can really only see once at that time, right?
0: right. Yeah, yeah. There's so much uh, so much interest in like. Um, putting someone through, like, the body going through the motion is the art and the interest, and watching this thing happen, um, which is a little left of center in terms of what would normally happen. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's part of the appeal, I think. And then we saw... We saw um, Ooh, what's the name?
1: Yeah, um, it was uh, Julia Julia Orquera-Bianco um, in a piece called Sedal. Um, she's an artist from Argentina um, who lives in Los Angeles now. And this was sort of the piece that stuck with me um, throughout, you know, actually for a couple of days afterward thinking about it. Um, she came out her hair as sort of just just below the shoulders in two braids she begins the performance by undoing the braids and turning on a large sort of industrial fan yeah yeah um and then takes a comb that's attached to the wall from the sort of like a fishing line or something mm-hmm. and she starts combing out her hair right like this is literally a combing comb out because, her.
0: yeah it's sort of a shearing comb in some ways i'm not sure what the term would be for that that object but yeah clumps of her hair are increasingly being blown away by the wind yeah and because she's got this fan going the hair is all sort of um
1: you know pooling in one corner of the of the performance space that we also we saw this all at dc3 art projects mm-hmm. um and uh you know just watching her take out pretty much like over half of the amount of hair on her head that she had started with like she started out with you know below the shoulder and ended up with quite a short sort of shag by the end Um, and just you know very sort of almost like very serene calm the like the sound of the fan the kind of scraping sound of the shearing comb as it was going through her hair even um, just added this kind of and it was actually one of the shorter pieces too because it had a definite start and end right yes
0: (laughs) yeah yeah Meanwhile there was another piece going on um, and I'm not sure the artist's name I apologize but um, they had a mirror um, and uh, and their phone on sort of um, live streaming mode Mm -hmm. like they were making a video and they were just sort of finding these angles uh, interacting between like uh, reflections in the mirror and sort of what um, different angles of their face and their face pressed up against the reflection and and those sorts of things Um, as it went different spots in the room different different angles of the mirror different angles of the body sometimes they were lying with it sometimes it seemed more active Mm -hmm. um yeah i think um i think there's something in like uh you brought up sort of um the definite start and end point with with that last one i think there's something to like in performance art we're seeing like a there's almost always in my experiences with it a very tactile quality there's something that's um Uh, very sensory connected to it, where either something like that, where we can almost have that like witnesses or um, um, audience sort of empathy, watching like we know these sounds, we know this motion, but there's a different consequence or a different effect to it coming mm-hmm. through.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the other piece that was happening um, in in the space was um, with Rebecca John. Mm-hmm. Um, that when this one didn't have a title, but um, the, essentially it was it was kind of like the most performance art performance art piece that I thought that, <laughs> the, of the night. Um, she starts out with a, a pile of sand. No, sorry, salt in the middle of the floor. And um, she basically migrates this salt throughout the space in a number of different directions using only a
0: strip of cheesecloth. Yeah, so she sort of pulls it. Pulls it and it leaves like a trail, but she got most of it going, but it would sort of leave this ghostly trail. And then periodically she would either sit on the pile or lie on the pile or lie next to the pile um, before sort of doing the next leg of, of the trip.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what what do we think we're supposed to take away from that? What, was, what were your feelings about the piece?
0: I think... Um, uh, it's interesting, I think with a lot of these and we've been talking about duration and that it's sort of like what is the effect of watching someone go through this process uh with Rebecca's one, there was sort of um uh I won't uh, there wasn't a heaviness to it, but there was sort of like this very um focused sort of like um this is work, I'm doing mm-hmm. effort this is um this is uh labor that I'm performing in this thing and I'll pause periodically but. Um, You know, and I think the idea for that was it was going to go for an hour or two hours of just moving this pile of salt across a room. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think with performance art, you bring your own projections to like maybe what the visual metaphor of that is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think just even that process, I think there's something really um, realizing that it's going to go for so long sort of layers in. Um, the amount of effort that the artist is putting in. Mm -hmm. Like, you look at a painting, and you can maybe guess the effort that goes into it. And you may be very wrong, Mm -hmm. but um, it's sort of, you're like, yep, this took this much work. Whereas this, you were seeing that work in process.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're really watching her physically. Like, you know, it it seemed like... I, it seemed like a lot of work like it seemed taxing yeah you know she's on her knees she's got salt stuck in her feet and like hands and everything and it just you know thinking about the actual physical discomfort even when she kind of like stops and takes the rest you know there's no real relief mm-hmm. there it just kind of seemed to you know and she's like and of course now we carry on right. we keep going um so you know yeah your mind can take that wherever you, wherever yeah. it kind of wants to go but um yeah And then you think about, you know, kind of like the conventional understanding of performance artists like Marina Abramovich, you know, who are in these like, you know, major galleries doing things that are like days and days long. and. And it's just kind of, you know, okay, well, yeah, it's almost there is there is that value in sort of just showing up for something and seeing something that happens, you know, really just in one way at that time in that space. Mm -hmm. And and that's it, you know, and
0: Mm -hmm. what you bring to it on that day, you know, um, Mm. that sort of unlocks different things, I think, in that art for you, uh, regardless of intent of, of the artist, whatever, whatever their projection of that is. You're sort of having this experience watching them do this thing. And that, um. That, uh yeah the depending on what you bring to that is sort of um, depends on what you get out of that in a lot of ways I think yeah. um, but there can be some power in that I think in watching um, this cycle or this process uh, happen um, and just being present for it witnessing it um, can can uh, can feel like a connection to a way that maybe a painting doesn't you know most Mm -hmm. people the average stat i think is like people look at a painting for like 17 seconds in an art gallery and (laughs) then they move on on average Uh, but this forces you to sort of sit in a moment that's Mm -hmm. being processed um and do processing of that moment for yourself as well
1: yeah um what did you think of um having to sign the waiver on the way in Oh, yeah.
0: Um, That's always like a fun game of danger, I feel like. (laughs) You're sort of like, oh, what am I signing up for? What's going to happen to me? And I mean, in this particular case, nothing interactive, I think, happened to us in a way that was like, oh, man, should have read that waiver closer. (laughs) Um, But I like it. I I like it. I find it... um, Charming and also legally protective.
1: Yeah, it seems like almost a bit of a stunt in itself, right? You know, it's just kind of like, oh, you don't know what's going to happen with this. I think the only liability thing could have been when we were outside watching the piece in the parking lot, because everyone was basically standing in the middle of the
0: road. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There have been pieces, like I remember a piece from Visualize years ago that was someone... Rolling on their side through downtown, and they had like protection around them. They had some people who were walking with them to make sure they didn't, you know, that people got out of the way, etc. But um, you know, uh, yeah, if you're putting yourself in a non-specific space, um, things can happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, that was what we caught from zero gravity. Um, I think now we can. Uh, we'll we'll head into our next ad. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation's Well Endowed Podcast. On the most recent episode, you'll hear an interview with Liz O'Neill, Executive Director of Boys and Girls Club and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Edmonton. Liz tells about how the fluke of a coin toss brought her to Edmonton, her greatest accomplishments over the past 40 years, and what it means to the children and their families who use the organization's services. To find out more about all of ECF's work in Edmonton, visit thewellendowedpodcast.com. So what's coming
0: up Fonda, let's look at some listings.
1: All right. Well, as previously discussed, running until June 2nd is Betrayal by Harold Pinter um, at the Arts
0: Barns in the Studio Theater. Cool. Um, after that, from uh, May 30th to June 9th is uh, NextFest, sort of our, our long-running emerging arts festival of many disciplines and uh, a lot of overlapping disciplines.
1: Yes, running in many different spaces as well. Yep, yep. Uh, running from June 6th until the 22nd is A Likely Story by Stuart Lemoyne, also directed by Stuart Lemoyne this time, uh, that's opening. Teatro La Quindicina's summer series at the Varscona Theatre.
0: Cool. Um, This is, uh, full disclosure, very biased because I'm involved. Um, From June 12th to 22nd, Rapid Fire Theatre is presenting Improvaganza, uh, which is an international improv festival bringing artists from all over the world.
1: All over the places. Cool. Um, and then finally, uh, June 13th and 14th, The Liminal, which is a new work by Brian Webb with Gary James Joins and a number of other artists, is running at the Trifo Theater at McEwen University. Cool.
0: Well, that's been the episode, everyone. Yeah.
1: Thanks for listening. Go see some shows. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta oh Podcast Network, powered by oh. ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app.
0: I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is
1: Mountain Time by Ghibli and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to
0: ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenoff. But